The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3Advance, developers of sports tech apps that are AI-powered and UX-focused. So if you're looking to create some apps for your startup or your sports biz calls for some artificial or business intelligence, you should check out 3Advance. They're incredible. Go to 3Advance.com. That's the number 3Advance.com. Empire. What happens when that thing you worked your whole life for gets postponed? It was a mixed bag because there were some people who really didn't want the Olympics to happen this year because they knew that their competition was training still. They had access to facilities, but they themselves didn't. And so they were just thinking like, this isn't a fair fight. That's American Olympic heptathlete Sherry Hawkins on Waiting Out a Pandemic before going for the gold. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Sherry Hawkins' story is inspiring on its own. She admittedly wasn't born with gifted athletic genes. She turned herself into one of America's most versatile athletes anyway. But now, she, like the rest of her competitors, have to wait out the world, defeating a virus, before she'll get her shot in Tokyo. We're also going to speak to a former Canadian Olympian, Craig Bunton, who transitioned from figure skating to tech entrepreneur as CEO of SportLogic on the data side where athletic improvement became his new life's work. But let's start today with marrying both of those ideas. How do you train and get better when you are locked out of your modern training centers as that future is now? So Olympic athletes are trying to figure out how to stay in shape for the new date of their summer games, which will happen next year in Japan. Michael Tabb wrote a piece for Quartz called How Olympic Athletes Are Training From Home During the Coronavirus Crisis. Hi, Michael. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm okay. Um, So what did you learn about how the Olympic athletes, clearly on a delayed schedule now, are staying in shape? Yeah. So my teammate and I, Megan McKenna, have been spending a couple months sort of talking to a bunch of different athletes and trainers and following their training routines and this really shifted suddenly and we really started noticing it right at the end of February, beginning of March, where a lot of competitions were being canceled and then suddenly also training facilities were being closed. So suddenly all these different Olympians around the world didn't have the equipment they were used to and many of them were training at their homes without much stuff. So they were finding ways to improvise. And at this point, they were still training for the Olympics because it hadn't been canceled yet. So they were finding all sorts of things around their house, whether that was, uh, you know, groceries or heavy things like kitchen aid mixers and doing home workouts, whether that was squats or flexibility exercises or different mental practices. So things like mindfulness, um, yoga, other things like that. And when the Olympics were canceled, a lot of them kept up with this because I mean, they're the world's top athletes. They need to find ways to stay in shape. Um, the mindfulness thing I get. Give me the ingenuity with groceries. <laughs> what did you learn from the everyday <laughs> items that they're using that they think will translate when they actually compete in the games in Tokyo next year? Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of groceries are 
sort of standardized weights. You know, you got a 10 kilogram bag of potatoes, one mentioned, and can do squats with that. Or um, someone else didn't mention potatoes, but she was using her her uh, standing mixer. Someone else um, lifting milk cartons as sort of an improvised squat rack. I mean, who has a squat rack in their house? Um, yeah, you can do things like lunges with them. You can do all sorts of things with the chair, um, different um, sorts of like push-ups and things like that. There are some though, like I'm thinking of pole vaulters and shot putters and <laughs> javelin. I don't know what they do right now. Yeah, it's definitely easier for some Olympians than others. You know, um, like rowers, for instance, often will have an erg in their home. So they can practice on that, even though it's not the same as on the water, especially if they're on, say, a boat of four or a boat of eight. But for people like, yeah, pole vaulters or gymnasts who require a very specific floor to land their tumbles and do it all safely, there's only so much you can do. And so some of them, uh, we talked to a gymnast and but what a lot of them are doing is sort of doing an off-season training routine where it's really about keeping muscle tone, keeping nutrition, and a lot of these different things. And then figuring that when you get closer to competition, you'll be able to do a lot of those more specific skills that really are what you need to be focusing on in your season. All right, so they're throwing potatoes around or using them as squat racks, whatever. Um, how about technology? Did, did you learn about anybody that is trying to implement things through wearables or data analytics as they conduct their workouts at home and away from their training facilities? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, not many of them were specifically mentioning that with this. Um, we didn't notice an increase in that when people were shifting to doing things at home. We did notice while doing some of our preliminary research that there are a lot of devices different people use, whether it's a headset or something called a focus band we were looking at a bit where it sort of gives you tactile stimuli, um, different sorts of biometric trackers. Uh, lots of people use things like Fitbits, which track your sleep because Sleep and recovery is an increasingly popular area for athletes to be focusing on. And I'm sure a lot of them are keeping up on that pretty closely, especially with different things like sleep. Um, but we didn't notice a change per se. All right, I'll leave you with this then. Um, you mentioned that they're, they're practicing mindfulness and they're, they're trying to stay in a, in a good mental space. D did, you, did you get a sense of how, and I'm sure everyone's different, but did you get a sense of how they're all kind of, this is the biggest moment of their athletic lives for sure, how they're mentally handling um, what has happened this year. Yeah, I mean, it definitely varies person to person, you know. Not everyone we initially spoke with wanted to give an on-the-spot reaction to the Olympics being canceled um, because, I mean, it's hard on everyone, but I think for a lot of them, the hardest part was when the competitions for qualifying started being canceled because suddenly they had this dream that had that they were no longer able to practice for properly, that they were no longer able to figure out how they were even going to get there. So it was a lot of very, very sudden 
stress and anxiety. And also, I mean, these athletes want it to be a level play. They want people from different parts of the world who are their best competitors to not be able to be there alongside them. Um, so it's been really hard, but I think clarity has been really helpful. I think um, having the Olympics be canceled for a lot of them just provided some clarity. So um, at least they know now what they are training for and can set their sights on that. Michael Tabb's piece is called How Olympic Athletes Are Training From Home During the Coronavirus Crisis, and it's on Quartz. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Up next, Sherry Hawkins, U.S. Olympic heptathlete on the virus stealing Olympic dreams for now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. Our guest this week was supposed to be heading to the Olympics in a couple of months, but that has been postponed until, well, we don't know when. Sherry Hawkins, a heptathlete for the United States, joins us now. It's a pleasure to have you here, Sherry. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Let's start with just your general reaction to hearing that the Olympics were not going to take place uh, this summer. I think for me, it was more of a relief in a couple different ways. Uh, The first was that I was afraid that they were going to actually just cancel the Olympics completely. So the fact that they were only postponing and not canceling was a big relief. Um, And second of all, I mean, for the last couple of weeks, I've been on lockdown in my own apartment, and I don't have a huge, crazy home gym to continue working. So I did feel as though I wasn't able to prepare for one of the biggest competitions of my life. Um, properly. And so the fact that I am going to have the opportunity to get back to training um, and, you know, make the Olympics in a good way, I think that it was probably for the best. Um, What were you and the other athletes, if you were communicating about this, what were you all saying in the lead up to the decision? So we did have um, a pretty crazy powwow before they did make the announcement where I got to talk to over 300 other athletes, not just in the track and field world, but in across USA um, sports um, for the Olympic team. And it was amazing to hear a lot of their stories. There were, it was a mixed bag because there were some people who really didn't want the Olympics to happen this year because they knew that their competition was training still. They had access to facilities, but they themselves didn't. And so they were just thinking like, this isn't a fair fight. Um, There were people who were begging it not to be postponed because um, there was a girl who has been away from her fiance for the last two years. And she's like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Um, I don't know if I can do it for another year. Like I really want it to happen this year. I've been working so hard. It was just a mixed bag of emotions. It was pretty amazing to hear everybody's story. And you don't realize, you know, sometimes you kind of think about what you're going through um, and you don't realize how this is affecting other people as well. So it was really eye-opening to just see everybody's reactions. It was very, like, there wasn't, I wouldn't say there was a unanimous want or need from anybody. I mean, it's interesting because just like, listen, you guys get depersonalized. Um, You put on the the uniform and you're wearing the flag and we just have expectations and people forget there are fiancés 
and inability yeah. to get to things and life. And, you know, so it, it, it's actually, it's, it's refreshing to hear it, honestly, from you all to say, we are humans here, you know, and, you know, we, we want, if we're going to have the biggest moment of our lives, at least athletically, we, we want it to happen in a safe and productive way. Right. I think a lot of people also just think that the people that go to the Olympics were just these genetically blessed, incredible athletes. And there are some people who really are that way and they're legends, but there are people, I mean, I would consider myself somebody who has clawed her way to where I am now. And I mean, putting in nine hours of focused work every single day, coming home, three hours of recovery at home, completely devoiding myself of a social life just so that I can make a goal. And I'm not a machine. So not having, um, going out or not, you know, seeing my family a lot, I mean, that really weighs on you and you just kind of have to know that there's this bigger goal in mind. And yeah, it is, it is interesting to see how people sometimes uh, take professional athletes as not real people, just, Oh, like you were just blessed and good for you. And it's like, no, no, we actually work tirelessly to get to where we are. Uh, I mean, do you think it's even possible considering how many different disciplines you're in? So your, your situation is very unusual because you would have, you're, you're practicing so many different things to compete in what you were going to compete in. Do you think you reasonably could have been ready for the Olympics based on what's going on right now? If it continued the way that it was continuing, absolutely not. Even if we were on lockdown for another month and then it was completely lifted that would mean that the Olympic trials by that time would be in a month's time. And I would have almost two months off and only a month to prepare. And by that time, I mean, you just can't get the same amount of practices in. And especially I do seven different disciplines and most of them have to be taken um, outside and be trained with another person's eye and, it's just, it was almost impossible for me to do what I needed to do. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, the Australian Federation and the Canadian Federation had basically said that they weren't going to go, which started the ball rolling towards the IOC decision to, to at least postpone the games. Was there right. any discussion in, in amongst the American athletes about whether you would make a statement about whether you collectively know? Um, I, we did, we did talk about it in the, in that little, um, small sample size because there is there are obviously many more athletes than just 300 so I wouldn't be able to talk for anybody else but there was a pretty unanimous consensus that if they decided to continue with the Olympics America definitely wanted to go and I think that that just kind of speaks not not to the fact that we don't care about the coronavirus because we absolutely do all of us would have gone being terrified the entire time and I think that was one of the reasons why it was a, a better decision that it was postponed because as Olympic or as Olympic hopefuls, that's all we think about all the time. That's what we're training for. And it's crazy to think like we would be willing to risk our lives so that we could do this, this dream. And it seems so silly. Like, why would you do that? But it, it was, that was, that was the reality of the situation we all wanted to go. And I think that's why it was a good thing that they postponed because we would have continued training in terrible conditions yeah. because we, we love what we do and we want to get better. And we're also afraid other people are, are doing it. And so we have to do it. And yeah, it was, it was definitely the best decision because I genuinely think that um, America would have all of the athletes would have fought to go and they would have gone regardless of the risk. 
Um, we spend a lot of time on this show talking about um, how athletes connect to fans. You're in a very unique situation where you're an Olympian, um, but you're not specifically in the discipline that typically gets a lot of exposure in the prime moments of, say, the NBC coverage. But I've seen how much you're doing in social media to try to outreach to fans. Could you kind of take me through how you think about branding yourself to your fans? I mean, honestly, my whole my whole thing is I'm not anything special. Like, I'm from a small town. I was pretty athletic growing up, but I wasn't anything special. And even going growing up through college, like, I worked hard, but it, I kind of just went through the motions. And when I really asked myself, what do you want to accomplish? And I told myself, you know what? I want to go to the Olympics. I want to work as hard as I can so that I can get as good as I can. Um I really started pushing myself and I saw everything that I truly wanted and I truly worked for on purpose come come towards me and like I just started getting better and I don't think it was by chance. I think it was because I was really focused and all I want to share with my community is honestly, if I can do it, you can do it. You don't need to be this like amazing like one in a million athlete and I mean those one in a million athletes are incredible. Um, I'm, not, I'm not trying to take anything away from them but I just always wanted to just be as pure as possible and saying, I really know you can do this and I want to help you because I've been there. So I try really hard. Like I'm, I just don't want to like hold back secrets. I try to tell like, Oh my goodness, this was the aha moment for me. Let me show you my way so that you can get there easier than I did. I paved the way so that you can have a, have an easier road to get to where you want to go. Um, there's so many different platforms. What works for you? Like when you're trying to reach people and you're trying to speak to people with your messages, um, what's been working for you and, and how has that changed as you kind of evolved in, in branding yourself? Um, I mean, I think a lot of people um, uh, are, are on my Instagram uh, just because my Instagram kind of happened by chance. I just started making a little video journal for my own self. Um, I had almost no followers. And then um, when I made my first Team USA team, um, my following just kind of grew and then I moved to England and it grew more. And, um, so I was just able to, you know, share and connect. So I think a lot of people just, um, started following me on there and I actually just started a TikTok last week <laughs> and, uh, it was, it's actually been really fun because I've been able to connect to like a younger generation, um, and show them, you know, I'll, I've had people contact me and say like, I didn't even know the heptathlon existed. And now I want to try it. And I mean, that's what social media is all about is really just being able to branch out and really like reach out to people, um, get them involved, show them what I do. And if they want to do it, encourage them to do so. Um, let me ask you about your training a little bit. Um, what kind okay. of tech are you using in terms of, are you getting biometric data? Are you using wearables? How do you go about training for the disciplines that, that you perform in? Um, so I, I don't really wear like, too many things other than I do have my polar watch um, that I that I wear every day that tracks my you know my heart rate and it allows me to be able to say like if I'm tired I look down at my watch and I see that my heart rate's in a good spot so I can say oh you know I don't feel maybe I don't feel recovered but like my watch is telling me that I'm recovered and it's it allows me to push myself through when I'm tired I don't you because now I know I know that I'm not tired, um, as tired as I feel. My mind's playing tricks on me. My heart rate is perfect. Let's continue going. Um, so I love, I love that. And then I also wear a Nimbus band, which uh, cellularly charges yourself. 
um, when we get tired, we tend to have negative and positively charged cells. And you know that game, it's like, it's like super old. Um, and it's like called snake and they used to play it on your phone and you collected a little coin and then the snake would get longer. And as the snake got longer, you would go slower, slower, slower. That's kind of what our cells do. So what this does is it positively charges everything and then makes everything scatter and go quickly. And now you have the energy of a 10 year old. It's actually great. Uh, It's cool. I mean, you're using this modern stuff, but it actually sounds like you're kind of old school, really more than anything. Like you're not overly dependent on data in, in your training, right? Right. I mean, yeah, no, uh, I am going to, I think this year I'm going to try, um, I mean, you, you always try to adapt when you learn new things. You always try. I, I, I've never been one to shut off an idea if somebody brings something to me. And so I am going to try to see, um, if I can bring data into my training a little bit more this, uh, this next year. But as of now, I haven't done much of it. So yeah, I am pretty old school. All right. I'll let you go with this. Um, how did you end up choosing heptathlon? Like that is such an unusual choice. How did you end up going in that direction? Yeah, it's actually really interesting because I thought when I remember somebody told me you should do the heptathlon, I actually thought they were just making up and, and making it up. Um, and I, my, that was my first thought is I, that's, I've never heard of that before. Um, and the second thing that I thought is I thought it was, you know, bikey swimming, like a triathlon, but with way more events, more things. And I just was like, yeah, no, like I'm not a big swimmer. I don't really know if I, I that's up my alley. And they're like, no, it's just all these track events right in a row. And uh, when I was in high school, I did do the high jump, the long jump, and the hurdles, which are more difficult skills to master. So it made the transition to the actual heptathlon a little bit easier and smoother. It's really cool. Congratulations on all your success. And I can't wait Thank to see you perform you. in Tokyo. Whenever yes. that happens, we can't wait to see you perform. Yes. Yes, I mean, I'm really hoping that um, at the end of this summer, we are able to do a couple of events because I just think it would be really fun to get a good score going into next year and, um, you know, just have this season um, be able to test. You know, I got a lot better this season, and so I was really excited about competing, and it would be really fun to have that opportunity. So we'll see. We'll see what this – hopefully we can all, as a world, continue working hard to get rid of this coronavirus and – we can be a healthy nation and the world again, and we can start competing and bring our sports back. I'm excited. Yeah, the games will be there. The medals will be there. They're, they're not going anywhere. So hopefully, uh, yeah. you know, it's not happening this summer, but hopefully soon we'll, we'll see you put, we'll put a, a medal around your neck. That'd be a wonderful experience. Yeah, that, I know, for sure. No, I appreciate you taking the time for sure. Sherry, thank you so much. Uh, good luck with everything. Mm-hmm. Stay safe, and, and we'll talk to you down the road. Thank you so much. Up next, Craig Bunton, CEO of SportLogic, on modern training in this unusual time in our sporting history. This is the Future Sport Podcast. Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3 Advance. So let's take a moment to thank our friends at 3 Advance. These guys are ranked one of the nation's top app developers. 
Their user experience and cloud expertise has helped grow a bunch of sports tech startups, including Team Builder, T-Box Tour, and In-Game Fantasy. So if you're looking for a development partner to bring your future sport tech to life, look these guys up. Go to 3advance.com. They're the team to make it happen, and advance you will. That's the number 3advance.com, and tell them Future Sport sent you. Our guest this week is Craig Bunton, who's the co-founder and CEO of SportLogic, which is an AI-powered sports analytic company. But his background is, is as an athlete, specifically an Olympian as a Paris figure skater back in the early aughts of the 2000s. And I think that's the best place, Craig, really to start with you. I want to get into your company, obviously, but as an Olympian, hearing the news that the Olympics have been postponed, or at least the summer games for a year, what was your reaction to hearing that? Well, you know, I think we're all a little bit desensitized to, to shocking news these days. I'll be honest with you. I mean, uh, my my reaction to that was that okay, that's great. At least at least athletes, their families, fans are going to be safe. You know, I, I think we're we're dealing with a pretty pretty big crisis right now. Where uh, I think we all need to be sacrificing across the board. I mean, uh, the, the fact that, that they're not saying this is canceled and you know off to another four year cycle, at least pushing it a year back. It's like a lot of the athletes who have either qualified or or who are uh, prepared this year do get another year and they're going to get that shot. Um, so, you know, uh, it's, it's tragic, but, um, but not nearly as tragic as a lot of other things that are happening right now. So I think we all kind of just need to, uh, you know, keep our noses down and keep going. Um, if they had decided to move forward for the sake of being a distraction or not wanting to lose the money that's involved with running the Olympic games, do you thinking back to your days as an athlete, do you think you would have been able to properly train to be ready to go in a couple of months and compete in the games? Uh, I'm trying to rewind, uh, you know, a few years back and, uh, you know, I I was a pretty full headed athlete. I I probably would have, uh, probably would have found a way. And I think I can speak for a number of athletes, but, um, you know, it's kind of the job of the, the, the governing bodies and the organizations to ensure that the athletes are safe, right? And the athletes, athletes do what athletes want to do, which is win. <laughs> so, so I think an athlete probably would have found a way to do it. Um, but, you know, making sure that the, the rules are in place to kind of pull them back uh, is, uh, is key. All right, let's talk about sport logic a little bit here. Um, you've transitioned over right. into the AI space. Um, what got you interested yeah. in that? So when I retired from sports, uh, I found myself looking for my next big goal, right? You know, I spent 20 years training for, for the Olympics at one single focused goal. And, uh, you know, I came out, I uh, got my MBA, and, uh, and, and at the end of that, kind of looked forward to say, okay, what do I do with the next 20, 30 years? Um, and I, I did a, an independent study. It was a real deep dive into, um, you know, what industries need to be disrupted, uh, what new technologies are coming. Uh, and realized that at the time, machine learning, neural nets, and, and all these different uh, you know types of new technologies were looking like they were going to begin shaping the world. And so uh, I basically set out and said, okay, you know, I listed a, a few key problems that I wanted to tackle for the next 20, 30 years of my life, and, and I knew that this was going to be a tool that was going to get me there. Um, so you know, just really went out. Um, Put, put the sign on the wall that says this is going to be the biggest, best uh, AI tech company uh, that has ever existed. And, uh, and let's, let's set that goal right now and, and let's, let's get started. 
Um, you were part of, in the Olympics, pairs figure skating and figure skating in general, of course, is the most prominent sport that occurs. So, you know, you're the one who had a billion eyes on you. Um, more nervous for that or, or heading to Silicon Valley and asking for money from the VCs? What's a, what's a tougher sell for you? Oh, this is a, what a great question. I, I got to tell you, the very first time I went out to actually speak publicly, like never mind pitch, but like, yeah, I was pitching something, but like actually to stand in front of people, I walked in thinking exactly that. I've been up in front of millions of people. This should be easy. And I walked out and I froze. I, I, I totally <laughs> lost all focus. I forgot what I was going to say. And I got off at the end of it and I realized like I, I, I almost started laughing almost uncontrollably. I was like, I was more comfortable standing at center ice with, you know, that, sequins and velvet pants than I was <laughs> standing in a room with a couple people talking about you know, something that I'm quite comfortable with. Uh, and it actually took, it took just like, like skating. It took a lot of training and it took a lot of work and it took a lot of uh, practice to get comfortable. Um, you know, now it feels like second nature, but man, that, that first, those first few pitches were, uh, were far more terrifying than any competition I ever went into. <laughs> Maybe you should have gone there in the sequins and velvet pants. You would have felt comfortable. It would have been totally fine. <laughs> Um, so here you are five years later. Um, what's your main focus with your company? What, what spaces are you guys um, looking at closely? So we're building, we're, we're a team of 21 full-time PhDs. Uh, we've been funding research at 12 university research labs over the last five years. Uh, we have 10 patents that we filed for around the technology. Um, we, we are building um, technology that allows videos to be intelligent. So um, we, we can take any broadcast feed from anywhere. So let's use, I don't know, um, NCAA football as an example. Um, we can use the video feeds that those teams are already using, uh, track the movements of all the players, understand tactically where the players are moving, how many plays they've done, and actually break those plays down uh, and allow the coaches and the, the teams to, to see the game in a way that they've never you know, uh, been able to just easily filter and see. Um, how about sports betting? Um how are you guys viewing that? Clearly, listen, sports are down right now, but they'll be back at some point. And clearly yep. in the United States, um, it goes jurisdiction to jurisdiction about who's uh, legalized it, who hasn't. There's been a slow rollout here over the last few years. How are you guys envisioning that space for your company? So let's just the fact that uh, so sports betting needs to get information, right? Information drives odds, it drives content, it drives uh, everything in the sports betting industry. Um, the way that data is being collected right now. So currently there are a few, you know, big players in the space uh, that have eight to 10,000 employees literally out in stadiums, uh, either tagging, uh, tagging data manually or sitting in front of computer screens, tagging those videos. And so that's how the entire industry is powered right now. Um, there are over $150 billion of wagers in the U.S. every single year, all powered by eight to 10,000 people tagging video. Um, now, the thing with that is, one, people can't tag video uh, fast, accurate, scaled up enough. Two, people don't see the entire game. So a person might say, that's a pass or that's a shot. But they don't say that that was a pass under pressure that broke a defensive line in this position. And so the, the information that is now getting fed into this pipeline, one, because it's automated, and two, because it's way more comprehensive than it's ever been, is really, and I can't understate this enough, it's flipping the industry on its head. And so for us, we just see the, the entire industry now is about these insights, odds uh, that are way more comprehensive, way faster, uh, way more useful to, to anybody in the industry. 
This does feel like it, like the biggest change that is coming um, to sports media is going to be gambling and how they implement in-game betting, right? I mean, are, are we on to something here? Oh, 100%. And, and the thing is, you, the reason a lot of the, um, let's say, like player prop bets as an example, the reason a lot of those prop bets aren't, aren't done live is because you've got, you, you have to have a person manually looking at those, assessing them, shutting down the line, setting the, the odds as the game goes. And you just can't offer the number of odds that, that, that bettors are demanding right now. You, you can't bet, you know, you can't offer that, um, that whole wide range of products simply because the data can't be captured and assessed and distributed fast enough. In terms of esports, where we come in. Uh, are, are you guys, are you guys getting into esports and, and how are you viewing that emerging space? So there's sort of two sides of the coin to what we do. Uh, we do computer vision, which is we take videos in and then assess them and, and produce data. And then there's analysis of that data. In esports, the, the second component would be the only component that's actually uh, relevant for us. Uh, we're not in it yet. It's, it's something that for us, we see there's there's still huge opportunities in, in traditional channels. Uh, but it's going to be, I mean, there's no question that, uh, that esports are going to be a huge factor uh, moving forward into in the next few years. Um, l- let's go back to the media organizations and, and get back on the topic of, of how they're going to change content. As you talk to them and what their needs are now and what they perceive to be in the future, what are the conversations like with them? What do they want? What, what kind of technology are they looking for? Well, you know, this is, this is a debate that you know, I take this position quite strongly in that I actually don't think that um, anybody wants data. Nobody wants analytics. That, that's not story. That's not content per se. What people want is, you know, we've got 158 million data points and we can turn that into sort of an automated research system. So if you're a, uh, a commentator and you need to, to tell a storyline, we can feed you, let's say, the 10 most likely stories that are going to happen throughout the game and then track those, those stories on a second-by-second basis. So that at any point, if the thing that you're seeing as a commentator actually fits the stories that we're, we're feeding, suddenly you've got all the data and all the insights to back up the story that you want to tell. So we see this as a, we're trying to turn something that is, by definition, not useful, like it's not easy to work with, into something that is a, a part of the daily workflow. And so it's, it's an education around, um, around what the product is and how it's used. Uh, it's an education to, to stop trying to bucket it into this is analytics, yeah. but more so this is the tool that, that helps feed you the stories. Um, and in terms of training, um, how, do you, how do you view what you guys are doing to help the athletes train better and perform better? So I would say there's um, – if this tool was around when I was when I was training, it would have completely changed my life. Um, there are even in figure right skating, now, even in uh, figure skating, Craig. Really, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, my original idea for this, like we built the technology to, for the sake of the technology existing. Our first application was a figure skating application. Um, oh. You know, there's always these big judging controversies, and we, we actually could show. Uh, we did a piece with with one of the media outlets here in, uh, in 2016. Um, that showed the U.S. Uh, figure skater and showed the Russian figure skater and showed the speed in, the height, the speed out, and, and just explained why the marks were what they were. Um, so 100%. But I think like more than anything, uh, so I'll use soccer as an example. We track 15 leagues globally. So we, don't, we can use the broadcast feed, so we don't need to get into stadium and set up equipment or do anything like that. So we have a universal data set across 15 leagues. 
So if I'm a, a scout and I'm looking for a player that plays a certain style of play, rather than have to go out and watch, you know, a thousand different players and want to sift through all that video, I can simply say I'm looking for this type of player with this type of style, these skills, and it'll filter the number of, of players that I need to go look at. So it at least gives me a, a starting point, right? So I can go look at a uh, hundred people instead of a thousand or ten thousand. And so just simply being able to do that off the top is huge. I will tell you, if you find a way to remove um, the subjectivity of the French judge, we're all going to be very upset. You know, like we like <laughs> we need something to yell about here, Craig. OK, so hate to break you it laugh, to you. But it's right. so true. <laughs> it was uh, I was having a I don't know how much of I'm allowed to say, but you, you laugh. But it is, it's absolutely true in soccer in the UK right now. There's this huge debate about offsides. Uh, and, and the fact is the the technology being offsides too accurate. And it's disruptive to the game. Yes. People are people are annoyed that the game is, is not working the way that it is. It normally does because it's too accurate. And so you're, you're absolutely, what's hilarious is you're right. It actually, there needs to be somewhat of a balance. And I mean, this kills engineers. And engineers are just told, look, make this thing accurate. <laughs> but, right. You know, but, I, and it's, it's an ongoing debate. It's well, hilarious. I mean, it's, it's one of the huge ones. Like, Human subjectivity does matter in sports that we actually wouldn't like sports if it was too perfect. Like we want the balls and strikes. We want the strike zones to be different, whether we want to say that or not. We want the judges to judge figure skating because we don't (laughs) want the metric. We want to yell about something if we feel like they're wrong. You're bang on. I, I, you, I agree. And this is usually the first conversation that happens as we begin to develop something new. It, it's what do we actually want to solve, right? It was, the, whole, the whole idea originally was around, uh, you know, in skating, like can we, can we do a, an accurate um, assessment of a, of a jump or of a lift? The answer is, yeah. Does it matter? No. <laughs> You're better <laughs> off building a tool, a tool that can describe to fans what's happening. Like that's more fun. That's more useful. Uh, I mean, yeah, you're, you're bang on. I mean, listen, I never thought I'd be sticking up for the French judge, but here we are, you know, 2020 has been a very, very, very strange year. (laughs) Craig Bunton is the (laughs) co-founder, the CEO of sport logic. He of course is a former Canadian Olympian in pairs figure skating. Craig, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Thank you. Really appreciate the time. That'll do it for us this week. You can reach out to me directly at Bram, B-R-A-M, at AmpireMedia.com, A-M-P-I-R-E Media.com, for stories about sports and tech in the middle of a pandemic. We want to hear how you're being creative, innovative, safe, and optimistic. And as always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3Advance, developers of sports tech apps that are AI-powered and UX-focused, So if you're looking to create some apps for your startup or your sports biz calls for some artificial or business intelligence, you should check out 3Advance. They're incredible. Go to 3Advance.com. That's the number 3Advance.com.